This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. It's that time of the year again when billionaires, prostitutes and world leaders come together in an isolated snowy town far away from prying eyes. But what exactly does go on at Davos? The Alpine resort town normally plays host to skiing and hiking enthusiasts, but for one week a year, WEF invites business leaders, billionaires, heads of state, royalty and celebrities to gather 5,000 feet above sea level to address the globe's most pressing challenges. It's like a kind of a Disneyland for plutocrats, and you really feel it. We've all heard of the Elon Musks, the Bill Gates, and even the Dennis O'Briens, but you might be surprised that some of Ireland's richest men are pretty anonymous. I just go around and do my own thing and try and maximise the value of them involved in and live privately because the biggest judges for all of us are ourselves. Not Sunday Times rich list, not what, what the press or politicians say, it's ourselves. And then there are the conspiracy theories. The Great Reset is an idea put forward by the World Economic Forum to fundamentally restructure the global economy in the wake of COVID-19. A group of exceptionally powerful individuals, predominantly in the banking, finance and business sector, in alliance with government leadership, are proposing the sort of collectivist idea that takes personal ownership out of the equation. You will own nothing and you will be happy. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by Adrian Weckler, technology editor with the Irish and Sunday Independent, who has rubbed shoulders with the elite in Davos and can answer that question. Who are the Irish billionaires you've never heard of? Adrian, you were at the World Economic Forum in Davos last year. I am fascinated to know, as an ordinary punter, I mean, you're a very... Middle class sort, 
but you certainly are not the world's wealthiest. What was it like? No, you arrive in the train station and the first thing you notice, you know the way in cities they'll often hand something out like the big issue. They're handing out free copies of the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times. That's their normal person sheet that they that they hand out. You, you notice the long line of not just Mercedes's and BMWs and Audis and Teslas, but of cars that you wouldn't expect to see like Bentleys and Lamborghinis. And this is in the snow now. And they're all in a normal traffic jam going through the street. The place reeks of wealth. Davos itself is actually a medium-sized town. It's, I don't know, there's a few thousand people there. You're talking about something maybe the size of, maybe a bit smaller than Tullamore. And the main street, every single shop and service is taken over by a bank or a tech company or some big industrial conglomerate. It's like a kind of a Disneyland for plutocrats. That's the best way that I could describe. And you really feel it as, you, as you're walking around. And the interesting thing is, is that all of the billionaires who go there, all the industrialists, the politicians, the people who we think run the world, they kind of have to walk along the same path as you because there are no shortcuts and the traffic is going so slowly. So it's quite easy to bump into one of them, to doorstep one of them. Quite easy. So you're parachuted in. Do you have to wear a big hat going, I'm a journalist or I'm not a billionaire? Well, it works on a system of badges. So depending on the colour of your, you know, your lapel badge, that gets you into certain areas. Now, the coveted one is the white one. That gets you in anywhere. That gets you into the sessions. Actually, the sessions themselves are quite boring. It's economists talking about the world in 30 years time and people saying how they want to solve world hunger, which is brilliant, but they tend to waffle on a bit. Good afternoon. Welcome to the session on securing an insecure world. We have His Highness Faisal uh, Al Saud, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Saudi Arabia. Then we have Sandra Chris Kunz from the US. Then we have Youssef Tugar, Minister of Foreign Affairs in Nigeria. Then uh, we go also to the Finnish Foreign Minister, Elina Baltonen. And then um, I think doesn't need that much presentation. Jens Doltmark, the Secretary General of NATO. So give them an applause. So we start on a... The other badges will get you into different areas, different sections. And once you get access into those areas, you're kind of equal. I remember chatting just casually with the CEO of Intel for about 15 minutes just because we happened to be in the same place. And then I ended up kind of interviewing him and then we ended up getting a front page story out of it. So for a journalist, it's actually really, really useful, really interesting. There's a lot of interesting sounds and sights. So there is a class system, if you like, but at the same time, you can marry up in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. There was a guy, I don't know if you remember, uh, Anthony Scaramucci, the mooch, who was Donald Trump's chief of staff for about, you know, like a six hours, a few minutes. Yeah. When I was there, he was there and he was swanning around. He threw a party and that just encapsulated that side of Davos. There's a lot of parties in Davos. Like by some estimation, it's the largest gathering also of prostitutes in Europe in January. Not that I would know anything about that, but that gives you an indication that as well as all of this worthy stuff that they're talking about, how to fix the world, how to make sure the world doesn't crash, how to solve wars, there's also a massive party going on. I got talking to a few of the chauffeurs who were chauffeuring some of the billionaires around, and they said that the reason that some of the billionaires go who have no business there was just for the crack, was for the party, was to meet other billionaires, to hang out, serendipitous relationships, and also because it was a big party. 
So I've decided to try and take my iPhone out, see what parties I can find in Davos. This is more like it. This is the PwC lounge at the Belvedere Hotel at 11 o'clock at night. People are dancing instead of exchanging business cards. Well, they've got very good music. What actually goes on? What work is done there? You talk about ending world poverty and yes, they might say nice things about that. But at COP, for example, you get a readout afterwards with how they're going to change the world. At Davos, it's not like the UN. You don't get the world leaders all deciding on a, here's our policies for 2024. In the 70s, you could argue that a lot of the what we've seen over the last 20, 30 years in terms of how capitalism and the economy went, a lot of those early discussions were held at Davos. But even stuff that's going on today, wars that are going on, Zelensky is there, for example. Li Jiang, who's the Chinese number two, who's currently in Ireland visiting on a state visit here. I think he just came from Davos, he I did, think, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So, uh, and I saw the US Secretary of State was also there. Leo Varadkar is going. I believe McGrath is going as well and Pascal. So it is taken seriously as a forum for very important, powerful, influential people from the world of politics and policy and not just billionaires. So you mentioned the conspiracy theories. Talk to me about them because I find this fascinating. And of course, people find conspiracies in everything nowadays. But if you are to think about the world's richest, the world's leaders all coming together in a small town in the snow in January, well, if you were ever going to feed a conspiracy theory, that's how you'd do it. Absolutely. If you go on to X and if you go on to some of the conspiracy theorists there, the anti-vaccine heads, a lot of those guys, it's only a matter of tweets before they mention Davos or the World Economic Forum. And they'll mention this thing called the Great Reset. That was actually the theme of the Davos uh, uh, summit. So I think, believe it was actually 2021. And the idea there was in a post-pandemic world that we're going to try and bring society on and, and maybe try and right some of the wrongs beforehand. But of course, that was it was interpreted as, you know, we're going to try and shove vaccines down people's throats. We're going to try and make them obedient. And as you said, there is no better base on which to try and foment that kind of conspiracy theory than the biggest meeting of politicians, industrialists and billionaires in the world. One topic that Davos always brings up then is the rich and the famous. And you mentioned the parties. That's one element of what we think of. But, you know, you mentioned a few names of people you met there. Mm. There is always this study about or our focus suddenly goes on, oh, who are the richest people in Ireland? And we had a bit of a look into that, Adrian. And I was really surprised that... I didn't know an awful lot of the names in that list. I think of the top 10, probably most people would have only heard of four or maybe five. So there's the two Collison brothers from Stripe. They're number three and number four, Patrick and John. They're worth about five and a half billion dollars each. They're probably most famous because they won the BT Young Scientist competition. Patrick did. John never made it. He's oh. still, I think he's still regarded as a failure in the Collison family because he didn't win. The, by the way, both of those never graduated from college. Another fun fact, they both dropped out in first year. And Dennis O'Brien, who people would know. At number five. Dermot Desmond, who's down the list. At number nine. At number nine. And that's probably it. People might have heard of Eugene Murta, for example who is the Kingspan, 
they may not have heard of him, but they have almost certainly heard the building of materials. Kingspan. It's been in, in business for what sixty odd years or 60, thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. He's worth two point four billion dollars. The two richest. Yes. They're probably names you may not be familiar. The richest is a guy called Shapur Mystery, who really is Indian, and who has an Irish passport because his mother happened to be Irish. She was born in Hatch Street. So he gained an Irish passport and he is worth almost $9 billion. And his main wealth comes from his share in a group called the Tata Group, which is India's biggest conglomerate. He makes our list at number one, mm. but he's actually makes the Indian list as well, where he's number 10. Number 10, that's right. Which I was actually kind of surprised at because the richest Indians tend to be very, very, very rich indeed. But I would wager that very few listeners have ever heard of him. Just like the number two on the list is a guy called John Graken, who's an American. He's actually a Bostonian, but who gave up his American citizenship to take Irish citizenship basically for tax reasons. He doesn't live here. He owns a, ma a mansion in Chelsea. He owns a giant equity fund in Dallas and Texas, employs hundreds and hundreds of people, mainly makes his money by buying property in distressed areas and then flipping it. Has quite a colourful reputation in that particular industry. And he is worth, I believe, $6.3 billion. John Graken is the guy's name. Lone Star is one of his companies, yep. which does ring a bell with me because I think they did get involved in the Irish market a little bit during the recession, didn't they? The problem with a name like Lone Star is it's the kind of name that pops up an awful lot when you're covering business in an awful lot of deals. But I think you're right. I think they did get involved at some point. But, but Referred to as a, as a vulture fund as a vulture is what we fund, commonly yeah. call them, even though they, they would dispute that, I'm sure. Yeah, I think most of them dispute the word vultures, to be honest. But again, very tentative connection with Ireland. Can you explain that? You mentioned like what's the benefit of him declaring himself Irish, if you like? What is the tax benefit for that? I believe the cutoff date's 180 something days. If you spend less than that in Ireland, then you are not hit with the panoply of taxes that you would normally be liable for. This is why many very senior Irish business people spend a lot of their time in countries like Spain or Portugal or, or elsewhere and don't spend half the year in Ireland. And the Irish government, don't forget, in the 90s was handing out an awful lot of passports because it was trying to encourage wealthy people to come here, spend some time here, maybe create jobs here. I myself witnessed Enda Kenny trying to proposition Elon Musk on a stage about 10 years ago, trying to persuade him to kind of move over here and create jobs. I was uh, obviously with the Tesla car, which I've just had the privilege of, of getting a short speed in here. Extraordinary vehicle. But Henry Ford started off his, uh, his motor industry in Cork uh, at the turn of the last century and was here for 60 years. So if you're looking for a good base... Yeah. No, well, thank you. We certainly, we certainly give you an opportunity. And then next is John the III. Now, he's been on the list for many years. Again... An American, heir to the Campbell's soup fortune, because his grandfather invented the formula for uh, condensed soup. He's worth $2.6 billion. 
And the story goes that the Irish government reportedly gave him citizenship almost 30 years ago uh, when he spent a mere $1.5 million planting trees. That's according to a report in Forbes. Yes. So we're inclined to believe it. Uh, very well, reputable source. It's it's okay. You know, it's okay for the purpose of our discussion today, I think. Eugene Murta is next, who we've mentioned, Kingspan Group, uh, building materials, insulation. He is fully... That's a genuine homegrown yes. billionaire. Yes, a homegrown billionaire. And number eight is a guy called John Armitage, who's basically a, a hedge fund billionaire. He's British, essentially, but he only he changed his citizenship to Irish uh, six years ago. I think you're seeing a theme here. A lot of the top 10 lists of Irish billionaires are people who we would maybe put quotation marks around the word uh, Irish. Dermot Desmond comes in at number nine, uh, arguably Ireland's most successful ever investor. You would say worth two point two billion dollars. He saw early opportunities investing in Dennis O'Brien's telecoms businesses. He then set up his own company called International Investment and Underwriting. Lots of investments there. He's into diamonds. Last year, he sold Ireland's uh, second most expensive home in Merrion Square for nine point two million euro. So that's a kind of a rough snapshot of who the billionaires are here. One name that occurs to me that uh, misses from that list, probably along with Dennis O'Brien, our other most famous rich person being J.P. McManus. Mm. Where do these Irish rich people fit in the global picture? When they walk around Davos, do they have the white badge? Where do they sit, I suppose, in, in the big picture? They would have a very respectable place somewhere like Davos. They would get the white badge. By the way, you don't have to be a billionaire to get the white badge, but they they would have connections there, but they would be small fish comparatively because when you're looking at who the actual richest people are, and some of them sometimes descend on Davos, you're talking about people like Jeff Bezos, people like Oracle founder, you know, Larry Ellison, um, Elon Musk, of course, is at the top of the list. I'm not sure he's ever been to Davos. He's worth $230 billion, uh, followed by Bernard Arnault, who's from the French luxury company LVMH, then Bezos of Amazon, then Oracle founder Larry Ellison, and then Warren Buffett, who we've all heard of as uh, the sage, the Oracle from Omaha, Nebraska, probably the most successful ever American investor, certainly in, in recent times. The Irish billionaires, people wouldn't recognise them on the street unless there are any Celtic fans who might recognise Dermot Desmond. But they, they they would hold their own. They would hold their own. Oxfam come out with this report every year around this time, Adrian, mm. that I suppose tries to highlight the great divide, if you like, this idea that there is a very small amount of people with a huge amount of money and then there is the rest of us. What has their report for 2024 told us? So the two richest billionaires in Ireland have more wealth than 50%. That's the bottom 50% of the population. And the richest 1% hold about 35% of financial wealth. That's kind of in stocks and shares. And that essentially mirrors the global picture, which in some ways is even more stark. Basically, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. The Oxfam report is claimed that the five richest people who we've just mentioned, that their wealth uh, more than doubled since 2020, since the pandemic began, while the poorest five billion people in the world, that their wealth uh, receded, that they uh, effectively got poorer. And what they're effectively calling for, they kind of call for this sporadically, 
effectively is a wealth tax. They believe that the resources of the world are shared inequally, unequally, I should say, and that, uh, that there should be some way of dividing them more fairly. Finally, the billionaires, okay, they're getting richer. Mm. There's talk of trillionaires now. Yeah. Who's going to be the first trillionaire? So at the moment, Elon Musk is still the richest. He's at 230 billion and it goes down from there. And then the rest are all worth under 200 billion. So there is speculation as to who will be the first trillionaire. I, I don't mm. know if you can do the maths, but how much is a trillionaire? A thousand billion. So Elon Musk is almost a quarter of the way there. So for him to become a trillionaire, it would at the moment it would probably have to rely on Tesla. Tesla actually had the best-selling single car last year, which was the uh, the Model Y. But electric cars now have plateaued in terms of their sales for the moment, and that's a whole other issue which we can talk about another time. So he would need for a combination of Tesla and SpaceX, his space company, and maybe something like Neuralink, his brain transplant company, uh, to take off. Because X is certainly not going to do it. That's on the verge of collapsing commercially. So it's hard to see him reaching that anytime soon. It's not going to be somebody like Tim Cook, who you know is a mere lowly billionaire because he doesn't own that much of apple it's not going to be bill gates who comes in at about 120 billion because he keeps giving away all his money if bill gates had held on to all of his microsoft shares he would absolutely be the richest now he'd probably be worth about 3 or 400 billion he would be on his way to being the first trillionaire because microsoft recently overtook apple as the most valuable company it's hard to see that happening in the next few years and it's also hard to see civil society allowing a trillionaire to happen the West is a capitalist society, yes. We have to imagine that there are limits, though, as to how much we would tolerate a certain citizen to control or own. Just like there's only a certain limit of land that we would allow an individual to own, say, in Ireland, for example. I don't know if we will see a trillionaire in the next five or ten years. We might. There is also a fair discussion to be had whether we already have a trillionaire who is hiding in plain sight. Like, is Vladimir Putin a trillionaire? Does he secretly own a whole tranche of assets? Is there somebody who owns, for example, a giant store of cryptocurrency who, who hasn't yet been revealed? So it depends kind of how you measure it. But I think what we're talking about are business people who might go to Davos. Yes. And... It's very hard to see a trillionaire emerging in the next few years, but let's talk about it in a few years, I guess. Well, Adrian, thank you for telling us about how you rubbed shoulders last year. As you said, Sarah Collins has got the golden Willy Wonka ticket to Davos this year and will be reporting in the Irish and Sunday Independent over the coming days on all the events that take place there. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Garrett Mulhall, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound by Rory Bowens. Clips were from CNBC, the World Economic Forum, RTE, CBS, Reuters, Global News, and the Irish Independent. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time Imon Eurok the Yen of Chacht Erechor, 
Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.